and welcome to another episode of Talk Gopher Buckets. I'm Luke Buer. Hey, this is Ryan James. Happy Halloween and get ready for that Penn State-Minnesota game pretty soon. Oh yeah, absolutely. That is going to be a lot of fun. Um, and also, happy Halloween to you, Ryan. Uh, this is now, I think, about the third time we've tried to record. Uh, once interrupted by uh, my son, who I hear I have here on uh, Baby Monitor. Um, and the other time uh, interrupted by my inability to set and configure um, things here on the recording. So here we try again. Here we are. You know, you're an engineer. You think you'd get it right, but you never know. You never know. You never know. Um, all right. So the point of this discussion is actually to talk about gopher basketball. Um, so maybe we should get into that. Uh, first of all, um, tell me about these secret scrimmages and why they're not actually secret. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. It's interesting because today our Indiana site put out a report on like a, then a paragraph summary of every single one that every secret scrimmage from a Big Ten. So the, obviously they're not very secret. Um, I think some coaches want them to be secret. I don't think some coaches want people pouring through a box score. Like I guess Steve Palm was quite upset that Minnesota put the box score out. But at the same time, if you're Richard Pitino and your team beat Iowa State by nine points, you probably want to tell people that. Right. You know, like, hey, uh, you know, it, it doesn't mean much. You know, it doesn't mean like you have that on your resume, but if you're a fan base and your fan base knows you beat Iowa State by nine and your your combination of Gabe Kalsher and uh, Peyton Willis locked down the Iowa State guards in six of 25 shooting, you probably want to tell somebody about it. So the secret scrimmage isn't really a secret. I mean, you actually have to register it with the NCAA because it counts as one of your two schedule or your two scrimmages slash exhibition. So it's not really secret. It's just some coaches don't want people to know, especially when they don't play well. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, like you said, uh, I do find it funny that, you know, the, the Gophers re- released the box score yet. I didn't see a single thing from Iowa State. So that is humorous. But as we kind of peer at this box score here, like what can we even glean from this? I know you said, uh, you know, Gabe Kalisher, Peyton Willis locked down on, on the perimeter. Uh, anything else that we can really glean from the box score before we get into maybe um, some live basketball we were actually able to witness this last, uh, actually just yesterday? Well, what you're kind of seeing right now is that Richard Pitino, he seems like he's pretty reliant on experienced basketball players, and rightfully so. I mean, you see him relying on Oturo Kalsher, Marcus Carr, Peyton Willis, and off the bench, you see him relying on Michael Hurt and uh, Jarvis O'Mersa minute-wise, and that was pretty much the case last night for the minutes in the exhibition against Southwest Minnesota State, too. I'm um, also looking at the box score, you see the Gophers you, you pretty much know you're going to, it looks like you're going to get threes from Peyton Willis and, and Gabe Kelsher. You wonder, you know, the, the shooting percentages through two games of Marcus Carr and Daniel Oturo have not been very, they haven't been great. Um, but you also look at the other team's box score and you see that Minnesota is absolutely forcing everybody into tough shooting nights. And I think that's going to be a theme for most of the season. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to mention too, like, uh, you know, one of the things that from this game, at least that jumps off right away that might concern people is, you know, there isn't a lot of depth behind Daniel Turo and he actually followed out of this game in 29 minutes. And, and it was, it wasn't just a 29 minute game. I believe they played 45 minutes. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And if you're, and if you're really good at math, you'll see it's two twenty five instead of 200. 
So you can see it was a 45-minute game. So it was, um, you know, it, it, we don't know when Daniel fouled out. Maybe he fouled out in the 44th minute, which kind of sounds like soccer, by the way. He, he fouled out in the 44th <laughs> minute. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. So it's, like, we don't know when he fouled out. But the, just like just like, like like last night, he had 16 boards at 12 points. He didn't shoot a great percentage. Um, that was against the Mustangs. And then in this scrimmage against Iowa State, same thing, 13 points, 13 boards, didn't shoot. And we're, we're seeing with Daniel a lot of turnovers. Um, after the game, a, a pretty prominent basketball name in Minnesota, I was talking to him in, in Williams Arena, and he, was, he said, he goes, Daniel's playing really hard. He's playing with a lot of energy, but he's also his post moves, like he's got a twitch to him. And he's almost like twitching his body before he makes his move. And that's where you're, you're seeing like travel calls on him. Uh, and I, that, we saw that last night. And then I'm guessing with four turnovers against Iowa State, Daniel did that as well. So, I mean, I, I don't want to, like, talk about Daniel playing bad. The dude's rebounding like a monster. He is picking up where Jordan Murphy left off. Um, but he is, through two games, Daniel has also shot 9 of 22 and has seven turnovers. Mm-hmm. So those are a few things that, uh, you know, just a few things to keep, the eye on, keep your eye on before the game starts, the real game starts a week from tonight. Yeah, the other thing that box that at least jumps out at me that this specific box score is just the turnovers, right? Um, they had twenty turnovers in this game, but you know, conversely, they turned over uh, they turned over Iowa State sixteen times and still found a way to win the game, right? So, I, I, and it's hard to glean, you know, were these unforced turnovers, were these forced turnovers, et cetera. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, twenty turnovers is a glaring, glaring problem um, that obviously they fix against uh, Southwest Minnesota State. Um, but you know, the different competition as well. Without a doubt, um, I, I don't know that I'm worried about the Gopher turnovers all that much. Daniel's going to have to fix things around the basket, and Marcus Carr is going to have to. You know, he he had he had a pocket last night where he was just, you know, it was more. He kind of had that Isaiah Washington. I'm going to see what I can do on my own over two, three guys. He had a little bit of that in the first half, and then nothing and nothing in the second half of that. We saw a little bit of that in that one game we watched in August as well from Marcus. So, but I mean, I'm not Marcus Carr isn't out here like Carlos Morris or Isaiah Washington, you know, just gunning without any regard to what's in front of them or what his coach wants or what his teammates are begging for. Um, but it, there is a little bit of that, and I think that's why you see it. You might see his that's where his turnovers are at. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that that's what you say that, but I'll tell you what, like in in you know the on the other side, through two exhibitions slash scrimmages, the Gophers uh, and that man, I'm getting so old. Like I can't tell if it's a 16 or an 18. Isn't that pathetic? The six <laughs> or is an eight with like yeah. the wrong type of with like the wrong type of font. Like a six or an eight or an eight is just misery. Like I was watching the Nets the other night and I was like. Is that DeAndre Jordan? Or is that he's number six? Who's the number eight? Well, who is it? I can't tell. You know, yeah. right. Anyway, um, I think this is the 16. And then last night they forced 22. So you're talking about 38 turnovers forced in two games already. Um, and that, look, I'll tell you what. The biggest deal right now, the biggest thing I'm taking away on the defensive end is nobody can get around Gabe Kelsher and Peyton Willis. Like last night, Southwest 
Minnesota State Mustang guard slash wings trying to score on Gabe and Peyton, it was almost, I don't want to say comical because that's the wrong word. It was, they literally looked helpless. Like Gabe and Peyton are not only six four, not only are they six foot four and good position defenders, they're also strong. Some of 200 pound guys here, 195, 200 pound, 205 pound guys here that they just don't let anybody in front of them. They mm-hmm. get to the position before the ball moves there and guys just can't separate from them and guys just can't, they can't, they can't get around them. And even if you have a quick player, quick players can't get around them either because they're good in position and they can muscle you away from the balance you need to attack, the balance you need to shoot, you know? And so I am super encouraged about Gabe Kalsher and Peyton Willis as a tandem defense, but then you go the other way and both of them are three point threats as well as Peyton's in a three, three threes in both games, including hitting three threes against Iowa State. But you know what's crazy about Peyton? He's had two solid scoring games, 26 points combined in two games. Mm-hmm. He's only taken 16 shots. Yeah, super efficient so far, right? Yeah. Super efficient, which is which is really a good thing. I, you know, I wasn't sure what to think of him coming out of Vanderbilt as a transfer, um, but he has been a, been a real great surprise so far. It'll be really interesting to see him play in the non-conference. Um, the other thing I wanted to kind of quickly touch on, at least last night in, in last night's game, I'm kind of switching topics here away from the Iowa State scrimmage. But last night, I was pleasantly surprised by Brian Greenlee. Like, he hit two threes, uh, two for three. And then defensively, like, he's going to get after it a little bit. I, you know, I had expectations for Marcus Carr. I had no idea what to expect from Brian Greenlee. But I was a little bit, a little more encouraged than I expected last night. To be honest with you, like, I'm, with Brian Greenlee, I'm still kind of stuck in a spot of uncertainty. Um, sure. You know, last night I saw, like, I, there were some really positive situations last night where I was impressed. Um, right. I don't, I didn't, like, when you're sitting up there, and, like, I have this, this rule in my head. I do not type until there's a timeout or, or, or like, or a whistle. So I don't miss anything. And I break that rule about as much as any twin city driver breaks the speeding rule in the Metro. Like I break it all the time. And like last night I was typing way too much to really focus on what I thought, what I, all his minutes, like he played 14 minutes last night. You know, I saw the bank three and you just wipe that away. You don't even think about that again, but That's the fair. three the top of the key. Yeah. Two, three, the top of the key. Liked it. Liked the way he mm-hmm. moved the ball. He had a, he had a, I don't, he had a, he jumped the passing lane, I believe. Now, I can't remember if that was a steal he recorded or if that was a deflection that became, that moved to somebody else and then they pitched to the head. But I was encouraged by him. Um, he is a better athlete than I think people credit, give him credit for. He's without a doubt, very strong. Yeah. Uh, your, wonder, your wonder is, does he have the level of ability offensively to be an impact guy in the big in the Big Ten, I don't know. Like that's something we have to see. Mm-hmm. But so far, I think he's, I think he's uh, kind of got everybody a little bit excited, and he's kind of showing everybody, hey, and I'm sorry to do this to this guy, but hey, I'm not Maverick Ahanisi, yeah. who, by the way, at the end of his career. Became a little a serviceable back backup point guard, and he, you know, and you do need those. But yeah. like, 
Come on. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Also, I think Maverick's still playing overseas in like in uh, I think Vietnam or somewhere over there. Um, so kudos to him still having a basketball career. Um, I'll close out with, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that I think Brian Greenlee is, you know, a a stud down the line, but what I'd like to see out of my backup point guard is we're going to, if anything, we're going to up the ante on defense and we're not going to make mistakes on offense. Right. And I think I'm not saying that he's going to up the ante on defense relative to Peyton Willis and like Gabe Kalsher on the perimeter, but I don't think it's going to drop significantly. And the only way it's going to drop is where he's going to lose. We're going to lose size with him, right? Because he's a little smaller relative to those guys, but athletically, it may be not elite, but definitely strong, right? So I, I, I was encouraged there. Um, the the maybe the place that I'll go next is um, Alihan Demir. Not terribly impressed thus far very limited sample size again all all of this is very limited sample size but he is you know box score wise has struggled and didn't look terribly comfortable last night um i don't know if he just wasn't getting up for it he has a career of actually being pretty a pretty good player but uh thus far hasn't either doesn't fit or i'm not sure hopefully he is able to turn things around a little bit you know from hearing a few minor things um i know somebody that's coached him in the past uh, from watching what we saw, no, he doesn't look comfortable. But I'll say my bigger fear, he not only doesn't look comfortable, there doesn't look like there's any confidence there. Sure. He doesn't look comfortable, and he, without a doubt, doesn't look confident. And I'm not exactly sure. Like, it's hard to sit here and say you got to be delicate with somebody at, at a time because he's got one year, and he's, like, supposed to be your starting power forward. You know, it's pretty much you either do it or you don't. You know, and, you know, he got jerked out of the game. Well, the first time was kind of quick. The second time was within 18 seconds, you know, in the, in the second half. So I don't, you know, I think it's a confidence thing. Yeah. Um, grad, grad transfers at Minnesota have been interesting. See, everybody thinks of Akeem Springs. They think about what a wonderful fifth starter he was, hitting shots, defending, team guy. That was not that way until January of his senior year. Right. As a matter of fact, in the fall, dude was just gunning, gunning, taking terrible shots, and we were having message board conversations about why is this guy shooting like he's, like why is he approaching this game like James Harden? Mm-hmm. You're not James Harden. What are you doing? And like, if you remember, his family was on Twitter kind of defending him, uh, you know, fending off the Gopher fans. It got a little heated. But then... Then he kind of, I mean, there was a complete flip, switch flip, and he's out here. He goes from thinking he's James Harden to playing more of like, a, you know, basically playing the role that Peyton Willis and Gabe Kelsher are playing, Kelsher are playing right now for that team back then. So you could, things will go quick. Brock Stoll, Brock Stoll, it was never figured out. And Brock Stoll never looked comfortable, and Brock Stoll certainly didn't have any confidence. Well, I'll tell you what. I don't know how it applies to big-time college basketball um, when it comes to confidence. I know Coach Haskins used to break some dudes down but that's what, and then build them up, but that's, what, like, that's when he had four years, five years of work with these guys. When I, as a teacher, you're all, you know, kids that aren't confident, you're, you're constantly giving them a boost and not tearing them apart when, they're, when they do things wrong. I mean, we're not talking about 30-year-olds here. We're talking about 22- and 23-year-olds. Luke, I didn't mature until I was 27, and some people would argue <laughs> I'm still not mature. Like, this guy, maybe he's just, dude, maybe he just needs confidence built. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, maybe he just needs confidence built. Um, 
I'm not at practice every day to see what's going on. We maybe he has some other issues going on. Maybe this has been this way the entire time. But, you know, in a game like that last night, you know, I, you just almost want to see him work through things. Mm-hmm. He played 17 minutes. Um, you also sometimes have to send a message, hey, dude, you need to wake up or you're going to get benched. And that's, you know, that is what happened last night. So right now I would be concerned about what we've seen from him. Um, he just doesn't, he doesn't look comfortable, but that can change, as we've talked about. Uh, but the confidence thing worries me. He doesn't look confident at all. And you can't, you, you, just, you don't want to destroy a guy's confidence because some guys don't get it back. Like, mm-hmm. Brock Sheldon looked confident his entire senior season. I'll give you another name. Remember Julian Welsh? Oh, yeah. Remember that guy? He was Tubby's Juco player. had a great junior year. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the confidence was break, broke, and he was the 11th man and didn't give anything his senior year. Like, you just, you, you, you know, mental, mental, I guess mental health in the basketball court, mental confidence in the basketball court is a big thing. And, you know, we're, we're saying this after two exhibitions. Right. But at the same time, he didn't look confident at all. Yeah, and you know, I'll, I'll I'll comment and say that you know, for, for him, like he looks to have the skill, right? And I would agree, it's a confidence thing. Um, and you know, he got a quick trigger because he picked up his third foul. I don't know if that really matters in an exhibition game. I, I maybe with you, like let it play out. But uh, Patino does have a history of being real quick to pull people with three fouls, so especially early in the second half. Hey. That is why you're on this podcast. Huh. That's why, like, you are such an integral, the biggest piece of the thing, because I didn't know that. Yeah. He, I just figured he was playing pretty poorly, and that's why he came out, because he missed the layup, and then, yeah, he was out in the second. I just figured it was because he missed the layup. I didn't realize he had picked up a third foul, but that would make perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, n- another guy I do want to touch on real quick here. Um, and then we can kind of talk in a little more generic terms about you know what we saw from the Gophers against uh, Minnesota State South or Minnesota Southwest State or it's too hard to say I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> it is hard to say. Yeah, it is. Southwest hard to say. Minnesota State University. There's too many syllables for one college, which is probably why everyone that went there says SMSU. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Mustangs from now on. Um, uh, Tr- Trey Williams. Um, you look at the stat line, 23 minutes, four for seven from the field, uh, one for three from three, um, six boards. Um, I think efforts there. Uh, he looks to be at times a little bit of a gunner, definitely has some athleticism, um, not super flashy, but he's probably, if there's a freshman right now, he's probably the one that's going to see the most run. Um, interested to see what you think his role might be this season for the Gophers. I think he comes on the floor and plays the three when you when either Gabe or when either Gabe or Peyton are out. I think you he comes on and plays them. Honestly, he has the similar size to those guys. He has a similar look to those guys. And at times you kinda of have to do a double take because of his hair and size. You're like, Oh, that is that is Trey. That's not Peyton. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's yeah. a similar look to them and they play a similar they kind of play those similar games. They're strong, six foot four, um, wings. And by the way, I said in a, on our one and done podcast that he was a prep school guy and he's good. He's nineteen. I was wrong. I don't know. I, I I was told originally that Peyton Willis, um, had three years at the Colony in Texas, and he played two years in Utah. And they either that was either I was told wrong, and he played two years. Or that third year was his eighth grade year. I, I don't know. I, I may need a little clarification on that. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I don't know how much it really matters. The point is, 
he is a regular freshman and he didn't have an ex prep school year. He just played two years at the prep school. So, but he does look very, very mature. And I think his role, I mean, there's going to be times when, when he starts to get comfortable and more experienced, I think you're going to almost, you might not even notice that he came on for one of these guys in terms of what you see defensively and maybe, maybe even a little bit offensively. Look, I'm not trying to say he's going to defend exactly like Gabe did last year because a freshman defending like that last year, that's, that's not going to happen. That's very uncommon. Guys really don't come in with that level of understanding, that level of work ethic, that level of stamina, and perform like Gabe did. But Trey, defensively, you know what? He's not bad. He's, I mean, pretty good for a freshman. Shooting the ball a little pretty good. He had the second most rebounding totals. So far, I really, really like what I see out of Trey Williams, which is kind of what we all expected. You know, coming in, not mm-hmm. much for Sam Freeman. He's probably, he's kind of young. He looks raw. Experience, yeah, very raw. Um, Trey Williams expected to be that guy that you can count on because he just kind of has a more mature game. Brian Greenleaf, play those backup PG minutes at times. You know, be athletic, try hard, get your six, seven minutes, and then, you know, go sports team. And then, but I say, and then a raw day to day, it might be different. Um, I know his ranking was high, but at the same time, I don't think you can expect that level of production on, you know, the first year just because he is raw and he has a lot to learn. That's Isaiah, who, you know, there was a question of when he hurt his wrist. I'm not exactly sure if that ever got answered, um, but I can tell you when I showed up at 555, he had ice in his wrist and street clothes, um, and people were saying, they, 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 the war, you know, it's a wrist injury. Um, I think Rich Pitino said he, he hopes to have him back for the first game, so that would mean it's probably not a break. So that's, you know, that's where the freshmen are, and I realize you didn't really ask me about that, but it was <laughs> okay. kind of the world's longest run-on sentence. No, it is good. I think, form. yeah, I think it was good to touch on all the freshmen. Um, let's just talk, you know, generally about the exhibition game. Um, and then we can talk a little bit about the season. Uh, I, I guess what I saw yesterday is you've already alluded to it. This is, this is a team that is going to be probably real good defensively on the perimeter. Um, I think the question is going to be rebounding. We know that Daniel can rebound, but who's going to rebound with him. Right. Um, I think I've heard Patino say that guards are going to have to rebound. I think that is absolutely going to be the case. Um, they're going to be, I think they're going to be pretty transient at the four spot without Eric Curry, um, which is a huge loss for this team. Um, Alihan, uh, Michael Hurt, and Jarvis Johnson, I think, will all see pretty significant minutes there. But from last night, from what we saw, that was kind of the case. You know, d- d- like Jarvis had 13 minutes, Michael Hurt had 20, Alihan had 17, um, all playing a variety of spots. But, you know, I'm curious, outside of Peyton Willis, Marcus Carr, Daniel Oturo, Gabe Kalisher, I kind of feel like the rest of the roster is still is going to be figuring out what that rotation is really going to be. But I think those four guys are going to see, you know, pretty consistent, super solid minutes from based on what we saw yesterday. Yeah, I would agree. I think you're going to look at a lot of box scores and see the start, you know, the four starters playing massive minutes. Um, Daniel, probably a little bit less just because of, you know, you don't want to worry about those fouls. Jarvis O'Mercer is going to be vital as a backup center and probably a little for, you know, when I'm watching Michael Hurt and Alejandro Demir play the power forward spot as rebounders, um, my thought kind of drifts towards a little bit towards Joey King 
Um, if you remember, everyone yeah. always complained about he, would, you know, he just didn't rebound. And he, I mean, I, it was a, it's a, maybe one of the stranger things because the dude played hard, played great position D, took charges, but he just didn't rebound. It was kind of odd. So then I kind of move it into this situation. Michael Hurt fights as hard as he can to board, but sometimes he, he's six seven, two what fifteen or something like that. Sure. Uh, he's two twenty. Like he doesn't have the strength really to hold off a six foot nine, two hundred thirty five thirty pound agile high major power forward. Like he's kind of a small forward playing sidewise playing power forward. So, but he fights, and that's why he mm-hmm. had his four rebounds in twenty minutes. Hey, look at Ali Han, three boards in 17 minutes. Excuse me, two boards in 17 minutes. Ali Han has, can't be like the Joey King rebounder. Um, they need Ali Han to be, side note, because I love the way what Joey King gave this team. They need Ali Han to be Joey King shooting-wise. I don't know if we'll see, we'll see that or not, right. um, but they kind of need a version of that. But they need Ali Han to rebound more than if you, like, you had in a Joey King position that way. Um, cause that's the biggest concern. Daniel Oturo is going to gobble up some of that. There's no doubt about that. And I, they just need the same effort, uh, of effort that Michael will give, that Jarvis will give, that, that Daniel will give out of Han on the glass. And then it might stream to okay, maybe. Um, it's just, they need Han to rebound. And the average was at 5.6 or something like that, 6.2 at Drexel. I mean, I don't, I don't know how to compare rebounding in the A-10 versus rebounding in the Big Ten. I imagine it's a little bit easier in the A-10, but at the same time, if you grab 6.4 rebounds in the A-10, I would think you could give the team near five yeah. in the Big Ten, and that's what they have to have from him. They need five from him. They need Jarvis to rebound like he has, grabbing 3-4 in his 15 minutes, and they need, they need Michael Hurt to grab his 3-4 in his 15 to 17, 18 minutes. Last night he played 20. Um, I think he played 17 in the exhibition. They got to get they got to get equal shares. Um, I know this is gonna go so dorky, dude. But mm-hmm. like, I watched Star Wars. That's the uh, oh god, what is it? Star Wars Seven, where she's given the portions. You're giving the portions. Like, mm-hmm. you got to get everybody. He has to get their equal portions. Mm-hmm. They need everybody to get their portion. And then Daniel Toro is gonna grab five or six portions. You know, to 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 be the leader of it. So, yeah, it, you know, so rebounding is one thing. Then, then you look at like, you know, they had a big void to fill with Jordan Murphy leaving. Right. So that, that's something that they have to worry about in terms of rebounding. But then I think one of the main differences, you know, from last year's team to this year's team, at least early, we hear Patino talking about, this is a much better shooting team. I think that we saw that last night. I mean, still really small sample size. We'll see more of this in the non-conference season. They're going to play, you know, some pretty legit teams and we'll get into that here shortly. But I do think, you know, one through five, and I'd say even off the bench, this is a much better, shooting team overall than we had last year. Instantly, Peyton Willis makes you a better three-point yes. shooting team. And, th- and that, you know, I-, I watched a lot of Vanderbilt basketball when Peyton was there. Whatever I could find on YouTube from their old games, I looked at, and I really went from thinking Peyton was a sixth, seventh guy to Peyton being a regular starter. Now, if your mere coffee was here, Payne Willis would still be your sixth guy, unless the Gophers use the mirror as a no, four. I, th- I think I think that I think that what they would have done was I think they'd play four guards in Daniel. They probably would have. Wouldn't that have been interesting? Amir goes from playing the three to the one to the four as a senior, yeah. basically. Anyway, but Peyton, 
you know, Peyton, I didn't know he was going to be this type of shooter. So far, he's shooting the ball really well. So if you give, get, you put Peyton on the opposite side of Gabe, you instantly make yourself a much better three-point shooting team. And then you have Marcus Carr. Well, Marcus Carr is going to be a shooting upgrade from Isaiah Washington. For shit's sake, I would have been a three-point shooting upgrade over Isaiah Washington. <laughs> I mean, come on. Isaiah just didn't make threes here. And, you know, I don't – what, Amir shoots in the arc last year, 32, it was, it something was like that? close to 30, yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, Marcus is going to be an upgrade from Isaiah, probably similar to Amir. So that, that'll be solid. Um, it looks like Trey Williams might be able to shoot a little bit. Ali Hans Amir, maybe a little bit. I think you could count on – you know, you're going to be able to have two shooters at least on the floor where teams have to get out to you. You, They're going to have to close out to you. They're going to have to battle over a screen and fight to get to you. They're going to, if you can't, if there's guys that get stuck on screens, the help is going to have to fly out there. And look, and that's a spacing thing that opens up Daniel Oturo. And, you know, before we move on from, you know, the exhibition talk, that also leads into what Richard Pacino did offensively. And that's, something that I was impressed with as well. Um, but yes, three-point shooting-wise, you are going to see a better three-point shooting team. It's just a question of how deep will they go with that mm-hmm. on the squad. Well, let's let's talk about that, what Patino did offensively. You know, I think one thing I'll, I'll add before you get to this, I think this is closer to the kind of roster he wants, right? With more shooters, more ball pressure guys, more you know guards that can be pesky. You know, especially from the defensive perspective, I think this is cl- probably the closest since that NIT team to the roster he kind of wants to see. But what did you see that you liked a lot offensively from them last night? Well, early in the game, you'll notice like they took a, they took several threes early, and but you know it wasn't they weren't they weren't threes that were like they were forced out of something and that that were uh that were hotly contested there was quick cuts there was a quick there was two quick curl cuts off an initial screen that like you could see that they're trying to get a fast action and get shots up quick now once they weren't making them then it's a concern because if let's say you're playing mm-hmm. Michigan State and you're taking some of you're getting some of these quick actions and you're getting open looks for shooters off of quick early actions and you're missing, and you're doing this a lot, well, you're going to get trampled the other way because you're not making Michigan State's defense work. But at the same time, if Gabe and Peyton are able to hit some of those, like, it was, it was those are going to work. You know, I also, I, I really like how, where Daniel Turo was able to touch the ball. I like some of the actions they moved. I know that the Mustang staff after the game was like, you know, they prepared the best thing. You, you got to prepare your team. And they, they, there was a lot of new stuff that that was seen on the that was seen on the court um, from Coach Patino. All around, you could see guys getting touches in more space. Guys getting touches off of some new actions, and it, it, it looked good. I I really liked what I saw offensively. Very little was forced. You could say that you know maybe a few shots came a little early when they weren't making them, and. I, I might be able to see that because that, like, there was a spot early in the game where they had six shots within eight seconds crossing the half court, and they had made two. So then maybe you want to change the pace a little bit. And I think he did that. Um, but I really like how the ball moved, where guys got touches. Agree. You know, like I, I got a few things in. You know, thinking about it in my head, um, as if there was another place to think about it. I don't know. Whatever. Um, <laughs> but, but you know, 
But like Ali Han's one score, dude, I loved where he touched the ball and he was able to catch and get one dribble down and beat his guy to the edge there. I really liked where Daniel Aturo was able to, he set a screen on one side and was able to quick flash to the post, you know, and give a target catch and make, make a play. Um, I like where, I like where, I loved actually where Peyton and Gabe were able to touch the ball. And I liked how Marcus Carr was able to get the ball to its, for his first read slash his first, you know, his first, first wing entry move and then get good touches back. I, mm-hmm. I was very much encouraged by that. Um, and, and I know I'm really cruising here at the lip, but like, then I, but well, if I liked and loved that, I was supremely in love with how active they were defensively. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. And I, and I'll add to the offensive side. I just liked how they shared the ball. Um, it, it didn't stop as much as it did last year, um, which was a constant, you know, whether that was Amir or Jordan Murphy, you know, those, some of those would be a little bit of a void sometimes. Um, and not, I'm not saying that Jordan was a little bit of a void. Amir wasn't always a void, but he definitely got, you know, laser focused at getting the ball towards the rim, etc. But you know what, quite frankly, he should be because he was arguably their best player on the roster. Um, and was, you know, when they needed somebody to get a bucket, he could actually get it sometimes. Um, yeah, and we, well, when you talk about this offense, this if this type of team basketball, like this type of team basketball, makes up for if you don't quite have the talent. You said earlier yes. this is getting closer to the type of roster Richard Pitino wants. Well, while I agree with you, I bet he really would want this team <laughs> to have a oh, mere coffee yes, on it. I agree, and then Eric. Yeah, and then Eric Curry starting at the four, and he, you know, and that Tate Willis as your as your sixth man, and so that's probably what he really would want. Yes. So then you take Curry and Amir Coffee out of there. Um, okay, so you take those guys off the court. They're not quite as talented, but like people got to understand, you can't. There's a lot of complaining about the depth of the roster today after last night's exhibition uh, on Gopher Illustrated. There was complaining. Other, you know, people making snap judgments. Well. I'll tell you what, yes, does talent win? Yes, talent's where it gets you places. But coaching and team basketball players also get you places. So what they may lack in depth of talent, some of that is going to be made up with because of good team basketball players. And that's the best part about the fact that your two best team basketball players on the court last night, Peyton Willis and Gabe Kelcher, are also two of your most productive guys on both ends. That's going to go farther than I think people understand. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not telling you it's going to get you to the elite, elite eight because I don't think this team has that level of talent. But this team can get you further with team basketball, a healthy team, yeah. I might add, that people I think are understanding. Let's. I mean, we could we could argue about this at length, but like talent wise, this is probably close to the NIT championship team. Um, Maybe I'm crazy with this, but Daniel Turo is an upgrade from from Mo Walker, right? Um, oh, without a doubt, no question. I but I would say like Marcus Carr probably close to Andre Hollins, um, Peyton Willis probably close to Austin um, uh, to Austin Holland. Was it Austin Hollins? God, I'm horrible with names. Yes. And then, there was Andre Hollins and Austin Hollins. And yeah. then and then you've got DeAndre Matthew. I think he was on that team as well. 
Um, you know, he's, I don't know if there's a comparable here, but I think those are similar talented teams where this one might be even slightly more talented, but in terms of, you know, roster distribution and how they share the ball. And there are some similarities between those two teams. Oh, I love that game you just played. Let's keep going on that. So Daniel Oturo versus Mo Walker. Mo Walker got a lot better, but yeah. I think they completely overdid I don't think Mo Walker, like Mo Walker, had a really good senior year. Right. Um, but but I, the con, like I, I think they overstated how good he was. Mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think he was able on both ends of the floor to give what they needed to to you know in a consistency to 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 be that great and to be as you know what they could have been. Mo Walker was good. I don't think he was the best player in that team. I just don't. No. Um. But and I think Daniel Aturo is better. So you're upgrading there. I would probably start with saying Marcus Carvers and DeAndre Matthews, Harrison. You know, I, DeAndre Matthews junior year was pretty good. DeAndre Matthews senior year, not so great. I would go Marcus Carvers with slight edge there. And then that leaves you with, you know, you're kind of an Andre Holland, Gabe Kelcher. I know this sounds crazy, but I'm going Gabe on that one because Gabe's giving you more on defense. Yeah, for sure. Um, He's and, definitely and bigger. Then, and, yep, and then you have your Peyton Willis. Versus Austin Hollins, Austin Hollins was better, but like I, he was better. But I don't think the margin is as, as different as people think. But Austin Hollins was better. But I like where your head was going with that because I think this those are uh, those four spots. I like this team slightly better. Yeah, uh, who is the four for that team? I'm trying to. Was it Otto Oshniks? I can't remember. I'm sure it was. And I'm sure I spent the entire year explaining to people why he was better than Charles Bugs. Yeah. And it, it, oh my God, it was the worst. I was playing because he's a better position defender, and Charles Bugs has no idea what he's doing defensively. But we got to put him out there. He's athletically better. Let's see what he can do. No, because he's going to take shots out of the hands right. of the Hollands, Hollands, and Walker. Now I'm not exactly sure if that was exactly the right crew. But right, you know, I mean, you, we were close. You said, you said, <laughs> the yeah. point, the point, the point holds. Okay, let's talk quickly about the about the schedule because, quite frankly, if there's one thing, you know, people complain about the Patino recruiting, and maybe rightfully so. But if there's one thing, is he has found a way to get better teams on the schedule. Uh, I'll give him kudos there. Uh, just real quick, I'm going to run down this non-conference schedule. Uh, you start with Cleveland State at home. Uh, you you play Oklahoma um, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Uh, you're going to play at Butler for the Gap games uh you're going to play at utah that's uh home and home uh you've got central michigan you've got north dakota you've got depaul you've got clemson in the big 10 acc challenge uh then we jump into actually big 10 play i still don't understand why we do this but we have we have iowa ohio state then follow that up with oklahoma state to play back that home and home um that we had with them where they played at us bank stadium and then you close out uh non-conference play with florida international i'll tell you what man that's a pretty good non-conference slate i know that people are probably frustrated that a lot of these aren't at home and you sacrifice that oklahoma game to be in sioux falls south dakota but this is a pretty good non-conference slate okay there's a lot to talk about here yeah. Um, Richard Pacino has upgraded this schedule um, from past years. There are less cupcakes on the schedule, less home cupcakes. Um, they have one less game, so that obviously takes one away. And they have two more Big Ten games to play, which takes two more cupcakes. Right. So instead of you know your past years of seven cupcakes and even eight cupcakes, you have four cupcakes. Um, now, that said, this kind of leads into my next point. 
DePaul's a cupcake. Okay. Then DePaul's a cupcake. They're not good. They're terrible. And that kind of leads to the point where, like, Richard Pitino has upgraded the schedule and made it more challenging. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, DePaul, that's more challenging than Chicago, Illinois, um, Central Oklahoma State, and Arkansas Little Rock. Just plain and simple, that's more challenging. Mm-hmm. But he also is scheduling games that are winnable. These aren't games that like where they're coming in as a massive underdog. These are good in the area of 50-50 games, give or take some. Kind of running through it a little bit. I love Cleveland State as an opener because you get it's another get the kink, get the rust off game. Then you go to Oklahoma, Oklahoma. You go to Sioux Falls, play Oklahoma. How dumb does that sound now? Yeah. Because who who gives a shit? Oh, I you know can we swear in this podcast? I don't even. Know. I can I can I, I, I can market upset. it explicit. I can market explicit. Uh, okay, who gives a shit about like Sioux Falls going to Sioux Falls, Dakota, South Dakota now? If you are from the Twin Cities. Because you're looking at this like, I'm going to go to this humongous football game against Penn State. If that game, if you had got a home and home, you could then celebrate for the next two or three hours, go into Williams Arena, and then have fun watching the basketball team play Oklahoma. Instead, like your goal for football audience or your goal for football audience is going to all look at that game in the Twin Cities, and then they're probably going to be too hungover after they beat Penn State, to watch this game. And then, but much less, they sure aren't going down there. You know, I just, I know the facility is great. I know it's fun. But it's like 2,000 people in there that are all you can get in there. I just don't get it. Mm-hmm. Like, f- I wish they could find another location. It was cool to go there once. But it was, and it, it was maybe even cooler to go there twice. But you're going there again, playing in a tiny arena. And I just, this is the type of game that fans want at home. And instead, you're going to Sioux Falls for the third time. I just don't get it. Yeah, like, and, I, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, and, and and I think the dream of T. Denny Sanford, you know, donating a whole ton of money is probably dead, right? So, like, if that's the reason, yeah, stop. Like, just play this game if, at home. I'll tell you what. If that's the reason, and if they can make it work, okay, then, then I, 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 I might understand. Yeah, yeah, then I might understand. I just and don't I, see it. Cool that you're, it's cool that you're you're getting those people in southwestern Minnesota, you know, I mean, I'm not, come on. It's not like a giant population down there. It's cool that the people from Marshall and Pipestone and Worthington, it's cool that they get to go to a game quick. And I'm sure there's some Minnesota people in Sioux Falls. Um, I'm sure there's some down there, too, that think that might, it might be great. I just, I'm, I mean, Luke, you almost have to ask yourself, what's better for, for like, I mean, would you rather have Minnesota play Sioux Falls there or excuse me, play Oklahoma there, or play like Northern Iowa at Williams Arena. Mm-hmm. It's a good question. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You know, because like I don't. The game in Sioux Falls just—it's it, great that they're playing Oklahoma, but great Sioux, the the South Dakota audience gets another Gopher game, and goddamn it, those South, people in South Dakota and North Dakota seem to hate the Gophers so much. As I, I just, I wish you, I wish you'd give the Twin Cities fans one of these games instead of. You know the South Dakota people who talk crap about Minnesota not, all the not, time. Not to mention season ticket holders, right? Like there are going to be season ticket yeah. holders that are upset as well, and and those are the people. You know, that's your base that supports your team. You know, 
year in and year out a lot of times. So uh, let's let's check oh. quickly. I do want to touch on you know the Gavit games. Uh, you you're going to get Butler, um, and that's that's kind of a cool thing. They're they're in this year where they've been out the last couple of years. Um, getting to play in what is it Hinkle Fieldhouse? I can't remember the name, but it's a cool it's a cool arena at Butler. I mean that'll be kind of a neat experience. I really like this game. Um, I like the opponent. I like going on the road. I like the idea of what they're doing. Um, this is the type of game where I, look, I, I do like in terms of getting a, you know, you're, you're on the road and you're kind of playing in a fun atmosphere game. Like I do, like, I'm going to go back to the Pentagon a little bit. I like that atmosphere too, but you've done it three times now. And instead of having a game Williams arena, um, but back to the Butler game, I really like this opponent. This is a bottom third opponent of the big East, but, you know, it's also a team that, you know, that's going to give you a good competition. Um, I definitely like that non-conference game. And then they're at Utah, you know, a little bit of blue scotch, blue scotch action from Austin, Minnesota, playing playing for Utah. Again, Utah, I think they're in like, what, the, they're in the middle of the Pac-12 or just below the middle. Another yeah. good opponent. It's going to be a tough opponent, but again, a beatable opponent. And a game that would look good on your resume. All right, so then we get into we get into Central Michigan. I really know nothing about Central Michigan. Um, do you know anything about them? I believe they're the Chippewas. No, I know they're the Chippewas, but like, do you know anything? That's if they're any I good, I got nothing there. I know North Dakota. Um, they've recruited Minnesota pretty well in in past years. Uh, I like seeing them on on the on the. Uh, on the schedule. And I know that they have been to a NCAA tournament in years past. Um, but I don't know a lot about their roster. You, you with your work with prep hoops are going to know a lot more about them than me. Well, North Dakota is going through a change. Um, Paul state, Paul Sather is their head coach. He was at Northern state forever and he did a great job there. Um, they have guys that know Minnesota. Well, they're going to walk North, North Dakota getting that game down here. That's to come down here and say, you know, we play it. We play in Minneapolis. You, you might get. We're going to try to get you down to Minneapolis to play in front of your fans. They're going to recruit this area because their staff is, you know, their staff has been uh, the staff. That staff has been recruiting Minnesota guys for a while. They're not as Minnesota. Their roster isn't sick with Minnesota guys right now. It has been, and I, 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 I believe it definitely will be again. It's not really sick with Minnesota guys right now. But I, I like that game. I like when you get these local teams around here that recruit this area um, to come down here and get a chance to play Minnesota. It also get, it helps it helps your uh, the sales. Like I, I don't want to hate on the Chippewas, but if you replace Central Michigan with South South Dakota State, South Dakota State's gonna bring more fans in here. Same yeah, with North good, Dakota State, same with Northern Iowa. You know, the, I like those games because it has a little bit more atmosphere. It has some local guys on it, and Minnesota usually, I can't, Minnesota usually beats them and walks out and says, "Hey, fun playing you, little brother. I got you. Go have a good year." Yeah. Uh, let's. Okay, you mentioned DePaul's not particularly good. Um, this will be a Friday game uh, after Thanksgiving. I take it um, it's the 29th, so it'll be a 2 p.m. game, um, and that'll be the day before the Wisconsin football game. So that'll be interesting. Um, 
And then let's touch on here, Clemson. It feels like we either play Clemson or Florida State every year in the Big Ten ACC tournament. Um, maybe even Boston College, you know, we've gotten them at least once last year. But it feels like we constantly play uh, Clemson. I think Clemson's actually halfway decent. Um, oh, they're good. Yeah. Now, right. Isaiah Simmons and Hunter Lawrence aren't coming here, and Dabble Sweeney's not coaching. But at the same time, Clemson is a good basketball team. That's a good game. The problem that becomes ACC Big Ten Challenge, the problem that fans get frustrated with is they know the big names of the ACC and they don't see the big names of the ACC. That's fair. So they don't respect, yeah, they don't respect Florida State and Clemson coming here. But Clemson's a good basketball team. That's going to be a really good game and a game where this team's going to need the fans there to um, to come out in force because Clemson's going to be, that's going to be one of their toughest, non, tougher non-conference games and one that should be enjoyable. So, I know Clemson isn't, they don't have blue in their uniform. Yeah. Wait a minute. I guess they don't. They what is that? They're purple, right? Sometimes their purple comes off as a, you know, so dark, it's yes. almost like a dark blue. But yes, they're purple and orange. By the way, what a terrible combination of colors. <laughs> or purple and orange? Yeah, here, here's. Here's what I'll say about that, too. I just want to remind people, I don't know if this deal is still going on, but this was the game that you were able to get like a free ticket or two um, by by buying two or three Red Baron pizzas. You should check the internet if that's still a thing, because if you want to see a good basketball uh, game and get in for the cost of a few pizzas, dude, check that out. I took advantage dude, of that. Red Baron is not worth it. Dude, two, but you get three frozen pizzas and then you get two tickets. Like I'd take that. All right, let's, let's, oh, let's skip, let's gross. skip, the, let's skip the big 10 games. If you're going to get frozen, if you get frozen <laughs> pizza, you got to get jacked. If you don't want to splurge on a good one, like DiGiorno, then get jacked. Don't touch the Red Baron. The only thing worse than Red Baron is Totino's. That is the, the party pieces. Oh my God, dude! I don't know what that cut-up meat is, but good lord! No, dude, you got to you got to get on the Bellatoria and the Lots of Matzas train. You got to try those out. Those are, I, those are the good I'm ones. I'm cool with it. I ain't touching no damn Red Baron. <laughs> the Red Baron should have landed his plane at least twenty years ago. Like Snoopy. Did Snoopy take him out by now? Oh, that's damn. funny. Okay, so I I would say let's see. We're we're into Iowa. Um, I think Iowa's going to be good again. Ohio State's going to be super good. They had a killer recruiting class. Um, I don't know if you want yeah. to comment on these two real quick before we close out the uh, the non-conference slate. I do. You said Iowa and good in the same sentence. Like they don't have a point guard now. Oh I mean, yeah, they, do. they have like yeah they got they you know they got a, a they got a, a freshman in there who's just outside the top two hundred. They got a guy from Valpo as a grad transfer who didn't actually have a great year at Valpo last year and now he's out. They don't have that and they don't have a physical set. They don't have a physical guy underneath. Luke Garza can play, but he's not like super physical. I love Iowa's wings, but you can't play, you know, they, they don't they can't play five wings at a time. I I'm Iowa's gonna be tough down there. No question. They're not gonna be an easy team to beat. They have talent. They have tons of wing talent. But they're missing their point guard because Bohannon's out and they obviously they lost what's his name to the Tyler Tyler Cook to the to the NBA or wherever he's at. I don't know. I didn't keep up on the Tyler Dude, Cook. I totally forgot tour. Bohannon's out. I totally forgot yeah, that. Yeah, he's out. And they don't have Isaiah uh, Moss or Moses. <laughs> I yeah. don't remember. Where he's, did he, he's at Kansas. 
Yeah, he transferred. Like he was going somewhere, then he reneged, and then he ended up. Uh, he at one point was he going to go back to Iowa, and then he ended up at Kansas. Like it was a wild, wild story. I don't remember the specifics. I think he but... was going to go to Arkansas. Yes, like, that he was it. Yeah, he can't. he was on that Mo Hargrove thing where he went. He's at Minnesota. I'm going to go to Arkansas. I don't like you damn much. And I'm going to come back. Come back. Take me back. And then, but then Mo stayed here and played. Whereas Isaiah then was like, "Well, I'm going to go to Kansas because Kansas is losing players left and right." Yeah. Um, but Ohio State, man, Ohio State's going to be tough. Like I got, I think they're going to be the third best team in the Big Ten this year because they have a combination of experience and really good young talent. That's an eight. They're eight or nine. They're eight or the eight guys that are going to make up the rotation or nine guys. I mean, they they could put up against a lot of teams in this league. They're going to be tough. I think they're going to be the Maryland of last year. I think Maryland's going to be really good, but I think a lot of people were surprised Maryland came onto the scene and was as competitive as they were. I know you weren't because you follow it super close. Um, but like, I think they're going to be the Maryland this year. They're they're going to jump up on a lot of people uh, nationally. I think people recognize this, but. I think your casual fans not going to be is going to be a little bit surprised by how good they are, and plus their coach is so good. Oh man! Yeah, they're in the upper quarter of the league to start the year. One is Michigan State. Uh, you know, like Michigan State one, Maryland two, Ohio State three. Oh, uh, is it Purdue? Is it Purdue four? I don't. Purdue five. I'm, I would. I'm never going to bet against. Oh, Illinois Ma- in there too. Illinois in there. I'm never going to bet bet against Matt Painter ever. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, then we close out the uh, we close out the non conference season with Oklahoma State and Florida International. This Oklahoma State game is in Oklahoma, is in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, this is again the home and home where they played at US Bank Stadium. Uh, this is a squad I know the Gophers beat and they kind of fell off the map a little bit. I don't know what to really expect I out of them outside of I think it could be a good game again. The Big 12 is absolutely random. Like, I, I looked at five different previews, and I've seen Oklahoma from third right. all the way down to eighth. Yeah. I mean, I, if, if they've been all over, the, all over the place. There are some pieces back there. They are going to be better, but God knows who, who where they're going to be in there. Okay. And then, oh, the Panthers. Is it the Panthers? Yeah, I think it's Florida the Panthers. And this is Richard Pitino's old stomping grounds for, you know, yeah, basically one season. Was he? He was there for a year. Yeah, Richard Pitino. This is the Richard Pitino. Um, I don't know. What, do you think they scheduled this as like a, we took your coach? Here's a game, or is you know, or could they have got I, that done sooner? I, I think I, that I they. Know. I think they scheduled them because if you're looking at this, they agreed to play either at one p.m. or three p.m. Like I think that's just so random. Yeah. It's one or <laughs> three p.m. Does that say tickets for dollar fifty? Dollar fifty <laughs> tickets. I might have seen that before. Uh yeah, Dude, you know, in December twenty eighth, they might be better attendance if they put book some uh, book some flights down to South Florida for you know Minnesota. Come on down to yeah. South Florida. We'll go down there. It might have been better. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway. I don't know anything about Florida International. Um, but you know, I think it's kind of that that end of the season cupcake. I'm not saying that this is a gimme for the Gophers. I don't think any game is ever a gimme. Um, but you know, this is that one token cupcake uh, just before um, just before you go into Big Ten play. So I'll say Minnesota hasn't lost a cupcake game in a long time. No, uh, you know, I mean, I'm sure somebody can look it up and find one real fast. But like, we often see. We often see teams that'll lose cupcake games here and there, and then everyone's like, "Oh, they're going to be terrible," and it doesn't matter. 
But like Minnesota doesn't lose these cupcake games. I mean, they haven't. They have like throughout Tubby Smith and Richard Pitino's coaching, you know, ten years, which I think will span thirteen years. There are not many. I would say it's a very small number of cupcake losses. There just aren't. That just hasn't happened much to Minnesota. And if you were to think of the all-time worst cupcake losses in Minnesota history, I the first one that comes to mind is when Clem Askins' Gopher team lost to Texas Southern. I don't even know what year that was. And then there was the year where they were in the preseason at IT, and we lost the year after the Final Four to Utah State in the second or first round. Those were probably the worst ones. I think didn't we lose to South Dakota State once as well? Oh, I don't I think remember. We I believe there was an L to South Dakota State somewhere, and Dan Munson had a few doozies in there too. But all right, so um, maybe just to close things out, we should probably talk a little bit about recruiting. Um, you know, they they landed Jamal Mashburn. Um, oh, the guy's name Maurice. Uh, what's his last name? I can't remember. Maurice Mitchell. Maurice Mitchell. So they've landed two guys. Both I think both are top one fifty guys, right? Uh, Jamal Mashburn is in your 80 to 90 area. Yeah. He's a top 100 guy. Like he's in the, that area because he's very offensively talented. This is a talented, talented score. Um, size wise, he's not big in, in the backcourt, but his, his play is big. They, he's going to be able to come, you know, step on the floor, play He'll be able to play some backup. Uh, he'll be able to play some backup ball handling, but he'll also be able to play on the two because he's that good of a scorer. Like, if you were excited right now about, the, you know, Gabe Payton and Marcus Carr with Trey Williams, you're going to be even more excited next year because Jamal has a game that he can score. He'll be able to score right away. Like, I, I see him having, like, an early Andre Hollins-like scoring impact, you know, sure. with, with the low double figures right away. I'm not saying he's taking the league over, but I think he's that good. Just this the one thing about him is he's not like a pure point, but his size would want you to, for him to be a pure point. But his, he's got a big game there. And I think he's going to help right away. So I, I really like him as a get. Um, Maurice Mitchell is more of a project. Um, whereas you look at what you have right now in the gopher front court, you know, Eric Curry injured, Alejandro Demir, one-year rental, and then Alejandro and Michael Hurta, your two seniors. You don't have much next year in the front court. Um, Daniel Aturo, borrow, you know, barring some type of magical software year and going pro, you've got Daniel back. You have a very raw Sam Freeman. You have still raw Jarvis Omerta. And now you have a raw Maurice Mitch, uh, Mar- Martise Mitchell. So, like, you really, really need they, – they really need another big in this class, which is why Dawson Garcia, which is so important, and unfortunately, it's not looking good with Dawson likely going to Indiana or Marquette. Um, he has one more visit going to Marquette on November 8th. But they're, they probably are going to need to try to find another guy to add to that front court. And that's, you know, Martins is good. He's a good pickup. I'm not saying that. He's just going to take a little time. You can't expect him to come in and play that power forward spot. In fact, I think he's probably, his position will be more of a five. Like I think him and yeah, I think sure. Martins and yeah, I think him, Martins and Sam Freeman are gonna be fighting for minutes behind Daniel, and then you know we have to see Isaiah and like, maybe Isaiah and by next year is ready and he can be the four with Jarvis or Mercer. That would help this team tremendously. But I think you have to grab one more guy 
Um, there's no names on the surface right now. It, it sounds like Jamari Sibley is going to probably pick Georgetown if if he is able to sign in the early signing period. There, I, I've heard I've heard conflicting reports on what academically he is, but like right now, you don't. There's not much else on the docket at this point now. I'm sure the Gopher staff. I'm sure is working diligently trying to figure out what they can do next. Um, but uh, but yeah, they they're gonna need to add some more size. I love Jamal Mashburn as a pickup. Marquise Mitchell Mitchell is also a good pickup. He's just gonna be a little raw, probably not ready to give you big minutes. And that is where not getting a Dane Danger or a Dawson Garcia or a Ben Carlson, um, those local guys they went after. That's where getting you know missing on them hurts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I, I don't know that I have anything else we want to touch on. Um, it's, it was fun to chat again. Uh, we're excited for the season to start. Um, you got any th- closing thoughts? Uh, closing thoughts. Um, you know, it's Halloween. It's going to be Halloween. Um, I, I, I'm excited for Halloween. One of my favorite. You see my yard. My yard has got ghosts and goblins all over the place. There's two 12 <laughs> awesome. blow-up ghosts. Yeah, I, I, Halloween. Got that. Uh, big goal for the guys. Make sure that you follow my friend Luke here and Ryan Burns and Derek Burns. I, you know, he likes to say it's second cousin. I don't know about that stick. I think Ryan's just trying to pretend he was a good football player like Derek. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh, and, and Ryan obviously missed his man. I, I don't hunt. So, like, I didn't really understand the depth of his bow hunting miss today. Yeah, um, but that sounded really like emotional. He's really so he's really shook up about it. So yeah, so like maybe and maybe most hunters are. I don't know. Mm-hmm. The most thing I've ever hunted was you know mosquitoes getting out of my, out of my house. You know, like I don't right. I don't hunt nothing. So unless you count fishing as hunting, right? Which I don't think most people do. So yeah, so yeah, but oh man, the Gopher football is so fun right now. Um, follow these guys, Gopher Gridiron podcast. They're setting records for views left and right. Um, make sure you check out Gopher Illustrated. Anybody that's on here that listens to Gopher Illustrated and that is a Gopher Illustrated subscriber, let me take my chance. I take my opportunity here to thank you um, for being a part of that message board, for subscribing, for being a part of it. We have absolutely shattered record our, our, our past record for subscribers. I mean, just blown it out of the water. And we thank you, me and Ryan Burns, thank you. And, and Gopher as well. I don't, you know, because me and Ryan are like publishers, but also, you know, also, you know, Gobi is a huge part of that thing as well. He's always on the message board supplying news as well. So we all thank you um, for your subscribing and make sure you keep following because how exciting is it right now to follow this football team? Follow Gopher Gridiron, listen to their podcast, listen to Talk Over Buckets, you know, follow us along through the basketball season and football recruiting. Let's go, man. It's this time. It's Luke, fun. The Twins won a, yeah, the Twins won 100 games. The Vikings are six and two. They were ranked in the top five for the power rankings. The Minnesota United made the playoffs. Dude, it's the city of champions. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the city of champions. It's been super fun. I want to thank you all for listening and go Gophers. <laughs>